Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Harpsong for a Radical, The Life and Times of Eugene Victor Debs by Marguerite Young. Hmm, how did all this fit last time? I am drinking granola tea from Sabrosa Tea Company in Sandusky, Ohio. You can order their tea online, and it's really good. Uh, I, I like the granola, but I don't think it's one of my like. Like, I've tried so many of their teas. Like, I'm honing in on my absolute favorites. Uh, the peanut butter and jelly one is delicious. I uh, really like the peanut butter and jelly one, too. Um, and having my sugar-free granola cookies. Oh, shoot. I'm so sorry for chewing in your ear. I didn't think that through. So I'm hoping today is my attempt to keep up with the read along. So for anyone who hasn't, who doesn't know, or is coming to this uh, podcast later, there was a reading group uh, organized by Paper, Paper Pills for Harp Song for a Radical for the month of October 2023. So this recording is for, well, a series of recordings is for October 6th, chapters 31 through 36, pages 105 to 130. So this one is page 105, chapter 31. This is my first attempt to try and podcast and keep up with the reading thing. I have... I'm pretty sure I'll fail. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it, but I am going to try. The hashtag, the main hashtag used is myoung23 on blue sky. All right. What President Wilhelm Wittling had found among the French Icarians in their second promised land was a new earthly paradise where they were squatting in the midst of the once golden but now tenebrous and bloodstained Nauvoo which fascinated him more than the community of the French-speaking rationalists. Arrangements in, a, arrangements in a carrier were necessarily so haphazard so makeshift that the main community farm was located five miles away by foot or sled or boat, depending upon what the terrestrial weather was, just as this and other farmlands were not owned by the carrying communitarians who had hoped to spread beyond their present boundaries, but were leased and as the old farmhouses strewn here and there were rented, although still remaining common property. So, okay, I'm just going to, I know this is uh, too little too late, but I'm just going to tell you, just let you know, in a capitalist society, any capitalist society, um... The way you screw that over is by owning, deed in hand, everything. So um, the whole system is set up to make you have debts and be debt ridden and in debt uh, in perpetuity. So the only way to, that's how the system runs. It's all on passive income. So the only way to get out of that, uh, in some small amount is to own it, to own everything. Like it's, it's not having a mortgage for 30 years or even 15. It's deed in hand. You own it outright. I think that was a problem a lot with the, uh, because it costs money for any of that to, I mean, it's not like 
you know, it just happens. And so, and then also the, so there are utopian communities in the U S and they, um, the ones that still exist and still do well is because they're owned outright. The incorporation or whatever they did, the property is owned. Um, and they're the ones that have been able to, to survive. Um, I don't know if they're growing or thriving. I have no idea uh, the state of um, planned communities in the U.S. Because they generally have to be out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there was one that I was pretty... Um, not involved with, but I knew the most, um, was, um, in Deming, New Mexico, um, which was a good community, but it was smack dab in the middle of the desert, uh, in the middle of nowhere. So I guess, oh, I mean, they say it's still going on the remote work, work from home, which they don't want to have happen. Um, <clears throat> some industries, some industries embraced it and I think they're doing really well. Those that are fighting it. Yeah, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out for them. But, um, uh, so remote work and all that wasn't possible back at the time, uh, that I knew about that community. As far as I know about that community, it's still growing. Also, and, and not only, uh, it still exists. I think it's still growing. So how that one worked is you had absolutely no help other than your own or whatever you wanted to do. And however you could get people to help you, uh, build a structure and, uh, electric lines were there, but most people were trying to, I know one guy was just building an underground house. Like it was literally just built into the sand, uh, with, uh, tons and tons of cement. And so it was, he had a small, uh, room that he had finished because you could go there and visit and, and depending on the temperament of people there, because a lot of them were, a lot of them are pretty independent minded and not, didn't really want to talk to people, but several of them were, were open to sharing uh, what they were doing. And this particular man was, and, um, he had built a room and the whole reason was because building the buildings like this, the temperature was 68 degrees, uh, no matter what, no matter what the temperature was outside. And in the middle of the desert, it can get 110 easy. So the inside of the building was always 68 degrees. And also in the winter, it was also 68 degrees. Like the temperature just did not fluctuate. Um, but it was also cement. So, <laughs> and so there's no electricity, like the electric, I remember them saying the electric, back then the electric company had run, uh, wires out there. But since nobody was using it, they were kind of mad because they had provided the infrastructure to hook everybody up to electricity to be on the grid. And it was a community that did not want to be on the grid. So uh, there was people that built uh, earth ships were really popular. So there were people that built those kinds of ships, uh, so, but those kinds of houses, um, very small. Um, and the buy-in back at that time was really cheap. So, I mean, if you really wanted to do that, you could. Uh, I haven't looked at it in many years, haven't been out there in decades, but, uh, last time I looked, I think the prices were pretty high. So I think as a community, they kind of, so the idea was, which I think is really good for a community. I think it's neat. I think it, it need, you need some kind of balance, which you would hope America would be that way. Um, 
it's, it's a fine balance between having your property, your personal property. I don't know that you own the land, but the structure that you built on it was yours. Everything in it was yours. So they had those types of lots. And so you had all of that. And then you had communal property. So you had a communal library, a communal eating hall, a communal, just a communal hall to be in, communal showers to be in. Because they knew people weren't running um, uh, electricity out or, or water. I mean, there was no utilities that I remember being run out there to the d- different lots. Everybody's pretty close together, too. They weren't, you, or it wasn't like you were really, I don't remember them being like, the lots were a fair size, not not real big, not real small, but you, so there was space. I guess they were more like mobile home lots, maybe, what it, remi- what it would remind me of, only the structures were widely varied. Um, and then, like, you had those communal uh, spaces at the front, which, I mean, that seemed to be the ideal, other than that they were in the middle of nowhere, and there was no employment. So you had a lot of people that were just older and on retirement or whatever they had, whatever they had planned for uh, in order to have this lifestyle. So, um, yeah, that was my, sorry, that was what my rant on how do you get out, how do you move away from uh, that society, don't go into debt. (laughs) That's like the only way. Like if you have it, save up for it and then just buy it. (laughs) But okay, sorry. Sorry about the rant. There were hostile neighbors watching everything the French did. um, And were there with, and where there was no visible violation of the prevailing mores of the revolutionary French Icarians, they were saved from being torn to pieces and strewn over the fields as the Mormon martyrs had been, their numbers including children, because of the desire for the governing powers to prove that the state of Illinois was a pleasant host or father to those of strange faiths who were not themselves presumed to be murderers. You know, we were supposed to have freedom of religion at some time. Only half the shelters needed to protect the Icarians from the coming winter's blast had been completed, and only half the shelters needed for horses and sheep, as the Icarians had included among their number not enough skilled carpenters and bricklayers, but surely enough and more musicians than necessary to play at their harvest feast or their Sunday meetings. Thus, unlike the clown Vitling's Communia, which had only one lone fiddler or one lone flute player, although throughout the uneasy and crumbling years before his giving up his idea of supporting cooperative workers' communes, which would be the earthly paradise in Iowa, there was a Polish barber in an eastern seaboard city who had continued to pay his dues because, for him, this was the promised land to which he had promised to come when he was old and tired of playing scissor and comb music through the hairs and mustaches and beards of men. It would become the settlement's lone fiddler playing the fiddle in the harvest time and in the snowstorms and in the springtime of the year. So that's the other problem that these uh, communities run into is that they don't have enough of people who actually know how to do something. I totally understand. Uh, um, And that was the one thing about this community in Deming is that you had to build your own home. So you had to know how to do something or at least a structure that wouldn't fall down or, you know, be able to put a lot of people lived in mobile homes out there before they had like RVs, not mobile homes, but uh, because I don't think they approved of that. Um, but RVs and the idea was that was a temporary structure until you got your permanent structure built. But yeah, but there was also no kind of farming or anything that could be done out there in the desert. 
Coming Down the Many Barred and Many Wandering Old Father of Waters, Mississippi, by Packet from Nauvoo, with his tin trunk containing whatever spare clothes he had and his red neckties, and more important, his packets of evangelical socialist utopian messages, promising a better world to the working men of the world, should they be joined in that cooperative brotherhood, who up until now had had, and were still having a thorny way, but who would be drawn by a hymn as the many into the one, although now scattered as at many distant star points. Vitling, with his packets of needles and pins and threads, which were also for sale, should he be in want, had sailed into the port at St. Louis, Missouri, at a time when it was filled with packets of the busy river trade, linking the south with the north. And the east in the world was not the desolation it would become after the Civil War, as the bleeding land continued to bleed. Now there were whistles of hundreds of steamboats tied up along the wharves, as there were whistles from the chimneys of landlocked flour mills, iron foundries, and distilleries, and there was no sign of the great fire which had swept the waterfront in 1849, the year of the accelerated gold rush, and when this land had become the gateway for the equipment of canvas-shrouded schooners heading in long trains overseas of grass toward the western fields of gold. President Wilhelm Wittling, <clears throat> although now exuding from his porous many-celled body, which had plowed through many waters, some perhaps dim, wavering rays of hope, had been unable in spite of arduous efforts as a crusader by pen and mouth in the former French fur trading center of St. Louis, where was gathering a population swollen into a turgid, roaring flood by the continual influx of thousands and thousands of migrant workers, who had been attracted there by the immediate opportunity of employment to gather up more than 60 subscribers for his cooperative brotherhoods, which, as shown by the incipient example in Iowa, would not suddenly, and as if by miracle, rise up overnight, and if a given time eventually spread as an old golden utopia throughout the world, from which death itself might be ultimately exiled when all the poor, naked, burning, freezing children of the poor were given shelter and hab habiliments and beds habiliments? Hmm. and beds and bread, and no one should be burned in a furnace under the earth or thrown out to starve in the snow until the millennial spring of cooperative communal socialism should come. Coming up the Ohio River in a steamboat, which upon this watercourse used to be likened to a river horse, as it pranced up and down with its eyeballs turning red and its nostrils emitting steam and its long tail of foam, the socialist utopian peddler would not have been himself with his obsessions upon him if he had not spoken with other travelers of the impending moneyless world, which was to come when all things, even men's coats and hats and shoes, should be the property of all, and there should be no theft, because there would be neither quote, silver nor gold to attract the eye of a thief. In Cincinnati, where he had debarked, he had found that his coat and the trunk with which he had embarked were missing, either had not set sail with him, or had been thrown overboard to flatboat riders following the horse's feathery foam tail. Cincinnati, like the St. Louis, which was named after the martyred Louis the the Eleventh, the medieval French French king, even as Louisville on the Kentucky side, which had been named Louisville in thanks for the first and second aid given to the American Revolution by the French nation and by the indolent sportsman and horse racer King Louis the Sixteenth, who was to lose his beautiful and many curled head under the executioner's bloody blade, as was the beautiful many curled Marie Antoinette. If the poor people have no bread, let them eat cake, was already a city of old-time native Ohioans and New Englanders and Virginians and Kentuckians, to which have been added thousands and thousands of German workers who had started their flight over the Rhine, what used to be called the Boundless Main in the 1830s, and many poor potato-faced Irish in flight from potato famines in Ireland, the latter having engaged fiddling sympathies before he ever came to America. 
Unfortunately, having some utopian declaration stuffed under the brim of his red moose-colored beaver hat, and in the pockets of his vest, and in the many pockets of his big wilderness breeches, and the tops of his red leather boots, as well as some money of the folding kind, which made no jingling sound, by which to attract thieves in the muddy bottoms of the harbor city where the poor lived, and as the rich lived on top, he was able to spruce himself up and provide his body with a new coat of fleece, lest he should appear before the German migrant workers as the naked king of tailors. He was able to sell subscription and membership blanks and life and death insurance blanks and other blanks and obtain promises of property and cash for the maintenance of his work. And yet he had attracted to his all-consuming cause only a small minority of workers from that large body of workers who, for one reason or another, including lethargy, could not accept his solution for the cure of the ills of mankind, who were split at the seams into various factions because they were unable or unwilling to accept the somewhat wavering vision in his eyes. And where he saw the light they saw the darkness. No doubt if he had howled around in the Ohio woods all night shaking the blackbirds from the trees with his millennial messages, he might have attracted more comforts by the pretense of madness than by that of sanity, both of which were given definition by no absolute standard but the prevailing mood. The Freethinkers' Society, which included agnostics and atheists for whom it seemed the god of the past was a dead concept, incapable of any further flowering, and that the law of progress toward that happiness which was the instinct of the universe and toward which modern man was his knowledge, with his knowledge of machinery, big wheels and little wheels, should bring man, as Robert Owen had promised, to the depressed, starving, mud-bound workers of the world, when they should rise up to take over the operations of the steam engines of the world, and all the wheels and all the cogs, for freedom without social and economic power would crush them all under the iron heels of iron emperors, had refused to go along with some of the cooperative tailors and other workers and a mutual insurance society. So one of the problems they always hear is like, oh, the workers just won't rise up. I mean, they just won't work hard enough. And the problem is they're already working hard enough just for basics. Like there's no extra time. And also... Like the machinations to keep those in power are already there. So if you study economics or the stock market or look into any of that, those things are so entrenched, there is no change possible. You're talking about the foundations, which is the, the very foundations. Like it's, it's nothing. The workers aren't the foundation. They're, they're not what set the wheel in motion. So yeah, you can kind of like make it wobble but you can't make it fall down. <laughs> so, um, uh, all for trying, like, uh, absolutely continue to try, continue to strike. This has been a very interesting time to be in. When you're seeing unions, uh, gather strength, it'll be really interesting to see what UAW comes out with, what the outcome is for their, uh, wages and shortened week. Um, and then hire more workers because, you know, everybody's tired of being, uh, required to do the work of 20 people and, um, and, and to have more time, but the, in the fine, the foundation of that, those financial markets are set. And so, as, uh, so this idea like workers, workers won't unite because they just won't work hard enough. It just doesn't fly. I mean, that's just not, not part of it. But anyway, 
It could be said of the wilderness scout Wilhelm Wittling that he had not oared his way up the Ohio as a lone oarsman in a birch bark canoe to tell of the wonders he had seen in his quest for the earthly paradise which should not be corrupted by the inroads made by the encircling capitalism, nor had he gone to stay a night with those poor workers and their families who lived in clay holes and in the mud. According to the anti-Wittling attack shot out now from the buzzing, booming Ohio Harbor City, where, as in other harbor cities at this time of busy riverboat traffic, there were bodies of murdered men found in the muddy bottoms when the waves of night had withdrawn, and the first faint rays of the sun had appeared. It was taking his journeys to this Ohio's pet to this Ohio state of the old western midlands and to other western states and southern states for the sake of his own pleasure, and possibly his health, and at the expense of the working men to whom he was promising, of course, if only they would pave the way which had once seemed certain, but was now increasingly wild and uncertain and wavering in earthly paradise which they would not live to see, or would see only when they were dead. In the triangle where the Monongahela and Allegheny rivers flowing together in confluence formed the Ohio River, up which Brother Wittling had come making his ports of call before the river should be covered with ice as hard as iron, was the city of Pittsburgh. That great future leviathan of iron and steel and coal and limestone and potter's clay and baking, filled with many burning pits, smokestacks of chaotic factories and mills belching with chemical clouds, which mixed in with the river fogs, turning from red to yellow to gray to black, the phantom workers who seemed to disappear into the clouds as one watched. The utopian shepherd, intent upon looking for more lost sheep to add to his fold, had been able to gather up a few converts in relation to the large number of German migrants there, not only hand-and-foot workers, but workers with their heads who were employed by the rich exploiters of the poor. The chemical clouds hanging over the harbor city and streaking the atmosphere almost from the top to the bottom had not been woven of delicate lace-like veils. They had been long, drifting shrouds. And again, yeah, you have all the pollution to go along with it. In the incipient empire of iron and steel, backed by hills striated by smoke and clouds, could be found the graves of early French explorers and fur traders, as well as the graves of the red men of Pontiac's confederation, who had been defeated by the mad Anthony Wayne, and the grave of the long chief Red Pole, who now might sometimes be seen against the black clouds like a long red pole, crowned with burning feathers of red fire drifting over the former Fort Pitt, which was pitmarked with big and little craters of fire. While in Pittsburgh on this trip, Bitling had added to the number of strange characters he seemed to be fated to touch upon wherever he went, with his guarantees of harmony and freedom. A possibly, impossibly, probably, improbably, mad street preacher with eyes burning like coals who was assured by the word of God, in his or by his own intuition, that all the religions of the world were about to come to an end with all their pontiffs and all their powers, and what should take their place would be a universal Jesusville, made of socialists only. All right. There we go. Uh, thank you for listening. Hope you're doing well. Bye.